Hello and welcome to another episode of the View from the Lab podcast. My name is Andy Woods. Today I'm chatting to one of the vanguards of the YouTube movement in science education, and that is Kit Betts Masters, aka Gorilla Physics. You may know him from his YouTube channel and his prolific output, supporting physics students in the UK and across the globe with his engaging content. Kit came to science teaching after studying architecture at university and has always been interested in the intersection between the arts and the sciences and the importance of the broad and balanced curriculum for pupils. This episode was recorded earlier in 2021, so we discussed the differences between the hybrid and the blended learning models and choosing which is the most effective approach to help students make progress in their science. We explore key lessons learned from the challenges brought by teaching during the pandemic and the importance of using the right technology at the right time to maximise its effect on our learners. We discuss active learning techniques and many more topics besides, too many to list here. Kit is an engaging advocate for science education, ranging from the academic to the vocational, and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It's time to sit back, relax, and hear Kit's View from the Lab. How are you today, Kit? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you very much. And thanks so much for having me. I've listened really closely with your podcast uh, so far. I'm really interested in the, the episodes about girls in STEM with Katie King. That was, that was incredible. So definitely check back on these ones. Mark Leavesley, who wrote Exploring Science, if you've used those, or if you've learned science in Keith Day 3 recently, you'll, you'll know those books. And uh, that debate around the teacher retention with Dr. Shanda uh, Grabert was fantastic. It's a great resource you've made, and I'm really pleased to join the discussion there. Thank you very much. Um, I know that Mark will be really pleased to hear that he's uh, made an impact there. He's he's a kind of a true guru of uh, science at Key Stage 3, and it was really interesting chatting to him. Um, and as I say, what we're trying to do is try and promote as much uh, good science education content as we can and, and put the message out there. So it's nice that you could join us today because I know you're passionate about science teaching and you're passionate specifically about physics. Now, at the beginning of uh, these podcasts, I always like to just hear about uh, my guests and their their kind of journey, I suppose, into science and their educational experience. So uh, first of all, I'd like to ask you about your kind of feelings towards science and what was it about science that really got you into it? Was it was it a teacher? Was it your natural interest? Was it your parents? Could you just give me a bit of a background about your your love of science and how that evolved when, from a young person? Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I, I had uh, two like really in, uh, instrumental teachers science teachers when I was at school uh, uh, one was Ian Bardrick and he, he conformed to the wacky physics teacher mold you know and the, the and the on the complete opposite spectrum was my chemistry teacher Hazel Vaughan Dick to Vaughan Dick who was a very strict teacher let's say uh, but she taught the experimental methods so well and you know these two combined just gave me that real love for science and it was a really good well-run science department I had a really good uh, experience all the way through but I, I was interested in everything and you'll probably see that as I uh, <laughs> what I did next really I was interested in everything I was really disappointed not to be able to do chemistry or, or history as well for example as an A-level and I sat art ma uh, maths physics and psychology so you know it was proper renaissance man stuff and I think when I was a kid, I, I really associated myself with Leonardo da Vinci and people like that who, you know, were interested in everything. And I think that's, that's really important for kids. You know, you, you can't go, you don't have to go through education thinking that uh, you, you're, you have to specialise really early. You, you're an artist or you're a scientist. You know, you can really do both. And, and that can lead to a really, really big strength um, in your future if you do do that. So do you think, in a sense, A-levels in, in England particularly are, are a little bit narrow at the moment? Kind of, obviously, traditionally, people go for three. Would you want to widen that a bit? 
Yeah, I'm surprised by you know recommending kids go for free, and I, I I wish people could go for more. And if you look at the Scottish system, they do more hires, or you know systems like America and, and France where you, you build maybe a bit more of a portfolio out some smaller chunks. And I like that about the AS system and A and, and A two system that you could build these kind of more portfolios. So maybe that's something worth, worth looking looking out for again. Definitely. I mean, when you were at school, were you, um, you talk about, uh, as a Da Vinci and, you know, being a Renaissance, Renaissance man, um, what did science always come naturally to you? Were you ever challenged by it? Or was it always a walk in the park when you were yeah, young? Was, science was always hard. You know, when, when you, when you think about what, and I, and I think about this a lot for the kids, you know, when you think you're going to science, you know, you're going to be worked hard for an hour. You're going to have to really think hard for an hour, but it really like pushed me. And that's really important because I don't think you have to be special to really enjoy being challenged. Right. But it takes a really good teacher to get that challenge right for every single one of their kids in the class. And that's that's the hard thing. But if you do that, if you get that challenge right, then you're going to really engage them massively. And I, th- I think, uh, you know, we, we can look at somebody. It probably looked like everything came very easily and naturally to me at school. But I worked really hard, especially for my A-levels. And I remember looking at this page of algebra in uh, revising for my A-level physics and just going cross-eyed, you know, reading this page of algebra like three times thinking, why am I not getting this? Surely this is all right. And I just, you know, I, I remember going down for a cup of tea thinking, I'm not going to get an A, am I? <laughs> and uh, and then I went back to it and I had my cup of tea and went back to it and it, and it was fine. I, I got it. And and that was, that's advice that I give to kids now is like, you know, yeah, this stuff is hard, but you've got to give yourself these breaks. You've got to not be too hard, hard on yourself. And, and, uh, when you look at people who seem to just get it, it's not that they they haven't put any hard work in and they just naturally get it. It's it's just maybe they they did it earlier or they they put that hard work in, so it seems like they're finding it easy. And I think that's really important. And I think it's really important that people don't get discouraged and think that there's top set kids and middle and bottom set kids, and and that's kind of a fixed thing. It's so important that people see sciences for them, no matter where they are in their kind of current attainment. Um, well, we're going to talk a little bit later about BTEC Level 3 and, and that can be really, really great as a way into for anyone who's interested in science. And that if you find yourself in not quite in the top step, you know, there is an avenue. It's not A-level, but it's still going to get you into university and it's still going to get you uh, those things. So if you're a kid who finds science hard, well, you're in the vast majority. It's all of you, actually. You all find science hard and uh, you just got to go to the lessons, enjoy finding out the stuff. Um, doing the experiments, just study for those tests, keep working hard and it will come and there will be a well-paid science career for you at the end of it if you if you put that time in. And I think that if we can get that message really through to all of our students in schools, we'll, we'll increase that uh, entry into science careers massively. And you um, took a, a kind of... A- kind of uh, following your own advice in a sense, you, you went to uh, university to architecture, which I see as a kind of a bit of a, an amalgamation of the sciences and the arts put together. How did you find that course? I imagine it was quite challenging. What did you learn from your experience there? Absolutely loved architecture. Absolutely. I, but yeah, as, as I said, I, I loved everything. You know, I actually did foundation art and design before I even went. I loved drawing and I, I loved uh, long projects. You know, architecture is a degree in visual communication, really. And there's so many transferable skills. And that's the reason why um, I can find it easy to make videos or I've got the skills to make videos, I should say, um, be, be, and all the other different things I can do, publish books and things like that because of those skills that I developed in architecture. And um, I think that's, that's really important. Um, but really, at the end of the day, I chose what I did because I kind of couldn't make up my mind. and I just wanted a little bit of art, a little bit of science. And I think that's totally valid. And luckily, I had enough engineering credits in my degree that um, I could teach physics. So that, that's that's how I've got into this thing. 
So did you ever see, obviously study architecture is quite a big commitment. It's, you know, I know it's a, lot, a long course if you do the, the, full, the full lot, but um, what made you, or did you ever practice as an architect or did you decide to go down a different route while you were at college? What was your journey into teaching? Um, was it straightforward into teaching or did you do a bit of architecture first? Yeah, I, I, I've, I found it um, incredibly competitive and I didn't really do a lot of work. I did a little bit of work experience here or there. Uh, but I actually graduated in 2008. So that was kind of global recession. And suddenly there wasn't much money in building and everything like this. So, it, you know, it already was massively competitive. And I think um, I just sort of realized that I, I wasn't going to be top of the first in the queue there. And a lot of my friends have um, have really done the long the long game on that one. And they've, they've had to do, uh, you know, hard graft of working on the CAD programs and doing the window schedules and, and things, really important things. And um, but they've often taken work experience uh, with less or, or unpaid at times. But now they've they've made it, and they, you know it's so amazing to see them, you know, standing in front of their buildings and their creations. And when you look at buildings, you think about all the kind of thought that's gone into the tiniest details, and that's when you realise what what architecture is all about. But yeah, it it, it kind of wasn't for me at that time, and um, I just. I was uh, I was actually working in a bar and my mum my called me and said, we don't have a physics teacher, do you want to give that a go? Um, my mum was a, a, a assistant principal at a school and uh, I just kind of, I actually laughed at first and <laughs> said like, well, no, surely not. And then the more I thought about it and the more I imagined myself in front of the class and the more you think, okay, actually you can have a big influence here, uh, the, um, the, the, the more I just, yeah, I, 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 two weeks later I took the train back down to Peterborough and... Um, and gave it a go and I just haven't looked back really from that point so real kind of um uh was it a baptism of fire was it um did you felt natural straight away uh how, you know how, how did you find those two years I just remember my first two years of teaching as being uh interesting and uh, very challenging um was it something that you didn't you just kind of got into and or, or was there some bumps along the way as it were <laughs> yeah totally there's some some definitely some lessons that stick out in my mind is it um but my first lesson was really eye-opening. So I remember my very first lesson, I uh, had some year nines and I just thought, oh, I'll just revise the digestive system. And I had the PowerPoint ready, looked absolutely fine. I thought this would be okay. I looked at the first slide, I thought, well, now, is that the esophagus or the trachea? <laughs> just like, okay, actually, I, it's been such a long time since I'd done any of that. You know, way back in year 11 would have been the last time that I'd done any actual biology like that. Um, that it, I was kind of stumped straight away, and I realised I, rem- I remember that moment. Realised, oh yeah, this is not going to be as easy as it was in my in my head. Um, and then I said, um, "Could you read this slide, please, young man?" You know, and I just remember, he's, I can't read. So <laughs> I just like actually, this boy did have really low levels of literacy, and it, like uh, I just realised this is going to be vastly different to what I had in in my mind. Um, but later that year, so with that same class, I remember it really clicking. I, I remember this light bulb moment. And it was just when we were talking through the experimental method. And uh, we they really sort of suddenly got that idea of the variables and uh, fair test and control variables and validity, importantly. And uh, they they seemed to understand that. And then from then on, they seemed to kind of grasp, grasp my questions and grasp written questions really, really easy. They kind of sort of see their way through the science once they'd got that. And, and it became, you know, this, this group went from being my biggest challenge to being the, the most exciting uh, classroom, you know, I've, I've really had since. And 
Um, so I'd really recommend that to young science teachers. Like if, if you're getting into this um, now or new, new science teachers, as much like low jeopardy science where you can talk about independent variable, dependent variable and control variables, as much as many simple experiments where they can like without having to worry about setting the kit up and getting this wrong. And is there going to be a massive hazard, a massive risk rather, um, you know, if something goes wrong, as much low jeopardy science that they can just get their head around that idea of getting evidence. Um, but then I also remember on that first day at the A-level uh, class, then I remember I remember one lad, they hadn't had a teacher for a little while, and uh, th- this lad, uh, Rory, actually, he, he became an architect himself uh, later, and he just said, thanks for teaching us, sir, as he went out, and that was, that was enough, you know, that was enough for me to know that was all right, and he kind of knew there must be a way to solve that one problem, and it was worth it for that kind of simple reward. Apologies for this interruption to the podcast, but I wanted to alert you to some online training from the team at Pearson Edexcel. If you're listening to this episode before the 17th of November 2022, you can book onto our free online training focused on purposeful practical work. It's on between 4 and 5.30pm on Wednesday the 17th of November, and we have special guest Dr Sarah Longshaw, who is a Science Learning Partnership Lead for the Cheshire and the Wirral. Sarah will be looking at approaching practicals in a more holistic way to ensure that your students get the most out of them. She will exemplify this approach by deconstruction of and reference to core practicals and make you think again about how you can improve both your student skills and knowledge in this crucial part of the curriculum. The specific aims being to determine the context for practical work and the prior knowledge required to carry them out successfully. To identify relevant working scientific skills, including maths in practicals, to discuss how practicals can be used to develop scientific skills and to deconstruct some specific GCSE core practicals and describe how they can be adapted to meet specific learning outcomes. So to book onto this free event available to any interested teacher, you don't have to be just with Pearson Edexcel. Search PD Academy, that's the letters P, then D, then Academy into your favorite search engine. That should take you to the PD Academy page. In the search box, type in Sarah Longshaw and then the event should appear, which you can then book on to. That's all for now. Let's get back to the podcast. I think I've, I've taught in kind of the full range of state schools. Uh, uh, so inner city in special measure, measures, rural in RI and inner city good. I don't know why I've never taught an outstanding school, uh, Ofsted outstanding, but uh, you know, maybe may, may the, the next place. Um, but I learned loads and I think it's, it's so true what we say to the kids that I learned, I've learned most from the failures along that way. Uh, so, for example, in my first promoted post, and I didn't stay all that long, um, uh, but um, I learned a lot from that experience because I, I learned um, this point: if you're gonna, if you want to be a leader, if you, if you want to lead people, you want to lead change. You, if you want to lead kids in the classroom, you have to be a lover of history. And this is something that we've gone over recently in leadership training: be a, be a lover of history. Think about what experience have these people had up to this point, you know, and, and rather than try and, you know. Uh, impose your ideas on them and that's where my biggest failures have come from when I've when I've had these fixed ideas before arriving at the school and I really wanted to put these things in place and that's when the biggest uh, failures have come Um, because those things just didn't suit that context they were kind of an idea idealized idea that worked in my head for this idealized kind of set of students that I didn't end up having so for example in in another place uh, I tried to launch flip learning with a with a, a bunch of kids that had supply for a year beforehand and they just weren't in a place where they were going to take the responsibility or find the joy they were just going to find another kind of um an, another thing to blame really and and they had no enthusiasm for what they were doing and 
that was the wrong choice. And, and that's probably been my worst set of results in my entire career because I was so, uh, so fixed on the idea that this was going to work and I was going to put these people and it must come good in the end. Whereas with another step, with, the, with the, the, the kids in the right frame of mind who'd had that history leading up to that point, it worked an absolute charm. It has been my best set of results. So I think just that really, that be a lover of history, know where your, that start point is and make the decisions based on that rather than your own kind of idealised um, thoughts, really. And what's your uh, thoughts on the old uh, the debate at the moment about flipped learning versus direct instructions? I, I, I kind of... Um... Uh, lived through and taught through a lot of the flipped learning uh, camp towards the end of uh, my time in the classroom. And now I'm feeling there's a lot more on the direct instruction uh, side of things. Um, it's probably somewhere in the middle. But what's your thought on those two different uh, philosophies? It is totally somewhere in the middle. And I think uh, I don't talk about flipped learning. Um, well, I do as part of a bigger model. So I, I talk about blended learning. I've been talking about blended learning for a long time before we heard about it as a, a thing in this um, this pandemic. But um, and And it's Blended learning is different to what's actually happening now. What's actually happening now is you've got some kids in front of you and some kids at home. That's actually called hybrid learning. So you're having to teach kids in two different places in two, at once. And that that term, you know, this is from in the States, they've been using these kind of models for, for a lot longer than we have, really. And uh, blended learning is really about you're choosing which particular method of teaching is best for that, that particular objective in that particular class. So you're talking about I think this class is going to learn this particular objective better in a flip model, but actually that particular objective, it tends to be the more challenging conceptually or um, higher order thinking skills like the evaluative and analytical thinking skills. That's going to be best with me where I can build that up gradually uh, with uh, given lots of practice. That's going to be best then. So you're actually in blended learning, true, in blended learning, true blended learning, you're, you're picking and choosing exactly where on that scale of flipped uh, with traditional classroom you're 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 going to work and uh yeah, i've got a video on it and uh, i would point anyone to to check that out uh, but um it it's it can be a very very effective model and it, and it gives you the kind of leeway to choose okay a little bit of one or a lot of another at one time and then build up that and, and change that as and when um and to the changes in the group and the, to the changes in the demands of the content that you're studying at that point so that that's a very powerful model if you if if, if you're happy to make that decision every single time really i think um this can be very powerful and is there a, a kind of rule of thumb do you think in terms of the attainment of a group do you think that flip learning yeah i can do more of that with my high attainers or low attainers or is it not that straightforward do you kind of just look at it per group so so you you've got to you've got to think exactly where where are you for for that class and for that objective and it does tend to be yeah, that the 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 kids with the confidence the kids uh, who um high, the high prior attainers will tend to be more at that flipped end but it but any kind of experiences you know you can get any kid to go home and learn a set of five definitions that the start of the lesson can be uh, match up these definitions show me that you understand them and then use them to to read the next thing and you're still doing flipped you're not expecting them to get as much from that uh, flip model as, as before and i'll tell you one one other thing um that has really amazed me by the kids throughout this pandemic i mean they've been so resilient these young people and they've got so much from um from actually having to do that being kind of forced into those situations and so many young people who uh before were not very confident learners on their own have forced themselves to learn in this new way and and actually made a massive success of it and I think we shouldn't lose uh, sight of that that there have been some really big successes of of uh, the blended learning that we have done the 
the uh, hybrid learning that we have done and we should we should learn the benefits from it and we should also then learn the, the things that we missed massively well we, we need to make them a much bigger uh, part of that and we need to talk to the kids about about what why it is better to learn this particular thing in this way but you need me in a classroom and you need you need me to um, you need a good teacher to help you learn that thing in this way i think the more we can do that the 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 deeper the understanding of their own learning and the more metacognitive experiences they'll get and the the, the more metacognitive control they'll have um, to, to really find their own way through the material and find the best way to learn the, that particular content for them. And I think when, when we do that, we, we win, really. I think we, we uh, see a lot more rapid progress. Do you think um, that... Uh, when you're looking at the kind of um, the more remote learning, I kind of got this perception that in, in, in a funny way, it, it helped introverts a lot in terms of uh, communicating with the teacher in a way. Did you experience that in, in when you were doing um, your lockdown learning? Any kind of different um, views you had in your classes when you were, you were teaching in this different way? Yeah, absolutely. We did. And and uh, SEND, it can be absolutely wonderful for certain SEND students, maybe who get issues with sensory overload and, and such. There's, there's loads that... Um, Ofsted wrote a fantastic couple of reports actually into like the thing that lessons from lockdown um, type type uh, reports and and they are absolutely brilliant because they they really go into the detail of all those kind of surprising things that we wouldn't have known if it, if it hadn't been for this uh, situation and there is undoubtedly um, you know we, we we've learned the benefits of being face to face we've also learned the benefits of giving kids the access to this technology and. Um, expecting them to use it and, and letting them find out their way through it and uh, finding out more about the way the way kids learn with that technology it's not a different way that they, they learn in the same way but there are benefits to that access to the technology I think uh, I think we'll see a, a, a shift in the way we use devices in schools and the way that we um, use technology in the next few years and, 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 and that will only be a good thing I think Definitely. I mean, talking about um, obviously you do a lot of support for your students and you're you're quite enthusiastic and um, positive about uh, getting students to think about maybe non-traditional academic science routes into careers, not just you. Oh, I'm going to do triple science and I'm going to become a, a doctor. And you're, you're, you're very keen on embracing um, a more vocational route. What's your experience been in schools um, trying to help those type, those type of students, which maybe are, are not your traditional academic students? Absolutely, I, I think that's a you know a really good question, and people sort of seem to see it. There's a bit of a stigma about this as being a kind of inferior route, and I don't think that that's right really. And um, I think that there's uh, well, we, we we've been so massively pleased by our groups, uh, this, the group sizes that are taking up uh, BTEC Applied Science Level Three now in our school, and and I think it's fantastic. It really does suit uh, different types of learning, and and the more. That maybe kids who don't show their best in that high pressure exam situation. I think that's absolutely the right thing for them. I think BTEC got got itself a little bit of a bad name um, maybe a few years ago. Uh, when when in the I think I don't think it was the first iteration of BTEC, but maybe ten years ago there was a, a level two BTEC applied science, and it became the kind of the go to for your lower prior attainment groups, and it just became you know that these kids do GCSE and these kids do BTEC, and I don't think that was the right way to to go about that really I think better to think about the interested students maybe who who would actually find exams too much pressure and and um, and wouldn't necessarily show their very best that way 
Um, I, I can think of two girls in in this class that I had, and I took through that that old BTEC route. They, they were two Romani girls, and they both achieved a merit, and they were massively proud of this. You know, incredibly proud proud of this. They came from a culture with no written language and very low levels of interest in school or interest in qualifications. You know, the importance of qualifications wasn't massive for them, but they learned all kinds of transferable skills by doing this. You know, it's all about the, um, it's, it's all obviously all about applied science, um, but but also there's these skills of meeting deadlines and completing forms and and all these different um, things, you know, making work to a standard that's prescribed by an outlier brief. And and, and th- these girls are going to be absolute pillars of their communities now because they will understand that kind of written, that, that kind of paperwork, for want of a better word, um, more than, than some of their peers will. Um, and I think people just maybe saw it as an easy way to get grade C equivalents. And I think that undermined the real aims of it back then. But I think with the new sets of, um, of BTECs, and especially the, the level threes, um, and that's on a real rise now. You know, loads of schools are looking at having more level three um, BTECs in there. And the applied science is a fantastic course. And it can really, any, anyone who's interested, anyone who's, um, maybe if they're just interested in having a course that does a bit of all three sciences, so they're a bit more of a generalist. Uh, they, they, they know that they're not aiming to be um, doctors. They're not maybe looking to be in a lab in one particular field. Um, they're, they're actually looking for careers and they're looking for a university next perhaps um, then I think it's a totally viable route and I think we should really encourage people to do that in fact lots of universities say they really like the um, the BTEC kids on their science courses because they're very good in the lab normally they've had this kind of coursework mentality and they've been shown how to write formal reports um, sometimes better than and had more experience of that than the A-levels who are maybe the A-level students who are maybe better at the theory side of things so I think, um, yeah, anyone who's less con- confident academically, I think the Applied Science BTEC is, is fantastic. And I said at the top of the show that, that uh, you know, ways to encourage uh, kids to see science as for them, you know, not just see it as being, oh, that's for the top sets, that's for the triple, they're the ones who are good at science, we're not good at science, we'll, we'll go down different routes. I don't think that that's, that's right. And having that option, have, making a big deal of that Applied Science option in a school can really change that, can really help people to see it uh, as for them. But they're, you know, they're demanding and rigorous courses as well, and they, they need to be seen as such. And I think it's about getting the right students on these courses, uh, rather than thinking about it as being you, you kind of bottom set. You know, if you, if, if, especially if the kids have, um, that, that, or classes have, have a high incidence of uh, low level disruption or absence or, you know, difficult, challenging behaviors, then it can be very difficult to run a BTEC course with them because with a bad attitude, you aren't going to meet those those deadlines and you aren't going to to meet those things so i think probably then that kind of group you you want to be looking at your entry level certificate type courses that that will you you know you'll still allow you to change those attitudes and influence them and and our kind of aim to to make these young people not necessarily have science careers but be engaged with science and know what's going on what what they read in the news about the global pandemic what they you know about to, to not uh, be dissuaded from understanding what climate change is by whatever the um, whoever the Donald Trump is that's in uh, in office at the time, you know, we we need to make these people global citizens and having the right course for the right student, rather than automatically uh, putting the low prioritizing groups straight into BTEC. I think uh, I think that's the answer. I've I've obviously talked very passionately about that. It's a really big thing for me. I think it's a really you know I'm so pleased with the with the the size of that group at my school now that um, it just means that we're hitting those, you know, we're we're getting through to the right students, that science is really for them. And I I just think that's a massive thing.
No, that's good. Sounds excellent. It sounds like a real positive place to be doing science in your school. So that's really good to hear. I think I'm going to move away from uh, teaching per se in, in schools. I want to move on to your, your, I suppose it was a side project originally, and I suppose it is still a side project, um, uh, which is guerrilla physics, which you started. Can you tell me a bit about how that all started? Yeah, so um, absolutely. I, I started that because I, I was really, I felt a bit bad about leaving some former students who maybe didn't have a, a, a physics teacher in, in the school. And I, I was keen to keep helping them and I wanted a way to do that. So I, this kind of idea was in the back of my mind. Um, and I just made a few videos. And, and one year, um, my, my video on the life cycle of stars was like the most popular in, on, on the run into uh, exams, you know. And it was like, wow, this, like, th- these numbers are, are, are crazy, really. And it, what it really gives me, it, um, it gives me this creative output. And that, that, that satisfies the, the artist and the designer, the architect in me. And um, since then, I've made like over 700 videos. It's, it's had one and a half million views. It's, um, you know, it's, it's been really, really exciting. Um, absolutely. In some schools who are desperate to find physics teachers, maybe your videos are playing in the, in the, in the, in the classrooms when the, the, the physics teachers aren't available. Because I'm assuming where you are as well, it, physics teachers are still thin on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that kind of feedback. I love yeah, there's there's something about when a when a teacher says, okay, you really got me out of a out of a hole there. Maybe the experiment wasn't working or something like that. You know, the kit that wasn't wasn't working, and uh, and that experiment video that I made just just got them out of the hole. It's it's fantastic to get that that feedback and and students as well. I think that's something, you know, students um, or, pe- or people when they're interested in starting YouTube or they say, okay, I'm, I would really like to do what you do, but uh, I'm just so worried that uh, I'll get negative feedback from kids. I'll get lots of comments and abuse and stuff like that and honestly there's there's like there's one of those for every hundred really positive comments and the positive comments make your day you know that it's fantastic to to get those so it's really nice to know that you're supporting um people in doing that and yeah lately i've been uh, sort of shifting that i mean i, I am going to continue to make physics content i love physics and I, I love teaching but i've kind of i have kind of covered most of the thing in some way along the way and um I've kind of, I don't think I'm going to get to the point where, you know, um, some wonderful examples where their, their videos are very, very similar in terms of their, their content style and, their, you know, you get exactly what you're expecting. I think these are fantastic ones. But lately, especially with the, the pandemic, I've been looking to um, help out more teachers in terms of uh, making their online content and help them with their blended learning and use that kind of experience and maybe... Um, people being forced into it a little bit and but that's made them a little bit braver in in terms of actually using that ed tech in the classroom and I just want to kind of support them to do that so I've made a few videos about the kind of gear that um, you might use for that I made a video early on the pandemic which was like three easy ways to make an educational video uh, ways to to you just use um, voiceover on PowerPoint you know like who knew before the, the pandemic that you could just put a voiceover and export it as a video and upload that to Teams and it was there and I think that just um, you know, if I can help people and support them to develop uh, so they can just be more confident and tackle any of life's challenges, that, that's my aim, really. That's that's my my aim for this channel now is uh, just going forward, just helping out where I can, really. And we'll see. We'll see where Guerrilla Physics goes in the next few years. <laughs> so you obviously um, got, you know, obviously a lot of technical knowledge. I know physics teachers like their tech. Um, are there any things that you would convince, uh, if you say if you're going to a, a new school and you weren't the head of the department, maybe, or you were advising some uh, some new schools, anything you would say, these this is really worth the cash, you must get some of these for your, your, your teachers. What would you recommend for um, science departments? 
for, especially science departments actually visualizers 100 you know I've, I've used the visualizer for a long time and the the benefits of using that for modeling is fantastic and the fact that the kids you you are using the same thing that the kid is using in front of them you're working on the same sheet you're working on the same question you're using the same ruler the same compasses the same calculator uh, and then because it's science you can show the same demos the same apparatus you know there's something is so powerful to model underneath a visualizer i think drawing tablets were especially good um during the, the pandemic because um you can you can use a pen in such a way and it, it's very neatly neat to present it like that but also ipads you know I, I really shocked myself at how much i've since i got an ipad how much i've liked that for teaching so i'd really i really uh, recommend those three things then one more thing is a um, wireless microphone. That's a fantastic thing to have because if you're teaching, especially if you're teaching in a hybrid way, um, if you can plug in the receiver into the, the computer and have the microphone on, on your lapel, then obviously when you're moving around in the classroom, you, you're not going to sound like you're across the other side of the country, uh, you know, and it's just going to make that clarity for the kids that are, are maybe stuck at home. Or if you're recording, let's say you, you're recording uh, something to to leave on Teams, leave on, on your learning platform for the future, then you're just going to have that better quality of sound. And I think sound is the one thing. You warned me to make sure I had my best microphone with me today because, you know, if it's sound, is, is, it's harder to follow something that has poor sound. Uh, you forgive poor video, you know, very easily, but if something's got jarring, uh, not very nice, pleasant to listen to sound, then, then you'll find it difficult to uh, listen and follow that. But I think more importantly than the actual physical tech you know we need to get the, the tech in the hands of kids because the biggest change is that is in tech recently is the use of ai um you, you had murray from tassimai early on in the in the podcast and That's that was right. really interesting to hear talking about is this quizzing which adapts to the needs of the lear learner and it, it keeps them in this state of flow right and and getting that immediate feedback and getting that uh you know, see, seeing their skills improve and seeing the challenges change to match the skills. You know, the, the more we can, and the next generation of ed tech is going to be using that AI, not just to make it a game for the kids, but to make sure those challenges are always matched to the skills. And it's going to keep these kids in, in, in a kind of state, that state of flow. Uh, it's going to allow them as well to, to you know, um, know their own strengths and weaknesses and know exactly where they need to work on. That's going to enable proper metacognition to really get them to know what, where they're kind of um, their areas they need to focus on, where their priority areas are, and I think the more we can use edtech in that way, it, it's it's going to be incredibly strong. So it's not just the the the, the hardware, but also that software and, and developing that, working with the companies to developing that. And as I've talked about, true branded learning, you know, that's that's the thing. If we can get that right, oh, there's a book that I want to recommend, if that's okay to everybody, is uh, Teachers versus Tech by. Uh, Daisy Christodoulou, uh, I think it's a, a massive recommendation, especially if you're someone who's yet to be convinced of the worth of, um, you know, self-quizzing on on these AI-powered apps uh, and the things that we can do, the, the the benefits that we can get from using, putting the technology in the hands of the kids and, and letting them use it. That's an excellent book to, to find out, Teachers versus Tech. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely believe, um, you know, tech has got a massive, massive role to play. I, I really think that you know, the way you accelerate learning is to give people feedback about um, their performance as quick as possible. And I see it with my learning. I'm trying to learn a language at the moment because uh, my brother lives in Spain, so I'm trying to learn a bit of Spanish. Um, and that, that, the quicker the feedback, the better. And I see it with my daughter who, who, who finds it difficult with maths, and she's got a little app I found that goes through her times tables, but it gives, it doesn't just say wrong or right, it gives you the answer. And it, it's a lot quicker. And she's 
something she finds difficult is that quick feedback and that familiarity is really important. And that's obviously applicable to, to science as well and lots, lots of different subjects. So I definitely believe there's a, there's a, there's a place for the, the right tech in the, in the right place, uh, but with um, still with that, uh, uh, the teach, teacher guidance. Because actually, when I, when I do kind of see students interacting, you do need that, that guiding hand still even so to, to help that. Yeah, what, what, what you need is somebody who can look at your kind of scores across this whole range of stuff and, and say, oh, I can see you really need just help with this one little bit here. Great effort on all these other bits, but let's, let's look at these parts. Let's go through those together. Let's see. Let's really drill down and find out what your misunderstanding, what your misconception is about that bit. And, and, and that's, that's going to be the role of the teacher going forward is, is going to be, um, you know, not, not identifying those areas, but being the one to use that data to, to really drive on that progress for that, that student. Um, it's really interesting to hear you talk about yeah the the immediacy of feedback is really important. There's a, uh, um, there's a there's a that concept of flow is something developed by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's okay. a, no. he's he's got a good TED talk which you could uh, Google up on YouTube. But also like several books, um, one is just called Flow, and it's about this idea of optimal experience and uh, you know. It, and actually, what what it is 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 it's when it's what you get when differentiation is perfect. And if you've ever tried to differentiate any kind of lesson, even within a, a streamed group where, you, you know, you should theoretically have all these really capable young people, you still know they're all at different levels. And um, to, the, the only thing that could get that kind of level right is something that could adapt to them as individuals. And, um, and, and, and when you do get that differentiation right, when you get that challenge perfectly matched to that skill, that's, that's when that kind of magic happens. That's when the kids kind of lose sense of time, you know, that's when the... The kids are kind of surprised the bell's gone because they were so wrapped up in what they were doing. That's when that lesson is like truly magic. And, and EdTech can just help us do that a bit more regularly, really. We still want to do it as people, as human beings interacting with each other in the classroom. Um, and EdTech is probably never going to be great at building the highest order thinking skills. But it can enable us to know what, what we can kind of leave in a pile of that's, that's done, that's ticked off. We need to work on this. Definitely. I always think, I think I, somebody famous might have said it, but as soon as you've got, you've got a class of two, you've already got a mixed ability class, haven't you? So, <laughs> uh, you know, you've got to kind of always think about those. And that is one of the big challenges of teaching is, is being able to try and field all these different minds at the same time to make a progress from wherever they were to wherever, you know, the end of the lesson. So it's always, it's always a big challenge. I was going to ask you about um, more general things, actually. I know we talked about tech a second ago, but um, you must be a very busy person. Okay. You're a teacher. I know how busy teachers are. And how um, how hard they work, but yet you've got your, this, this uh, YouTube channel as well. Are there any top tips for productivity that you can give other teachers that you think, um, or you see other teachers making think, well, I wouldn't do it that way. I'd, I'd do it this way because it's a quick way to do it. Is there is there a couple of things you could mention that could uh, relieve some of the burdensome, uh, you know, um, tasks the teachers have? For me, like, uh, well, for YouTube, is it's uh, doing things in batches. So I don't just film one video. I don't I don't write an idea, film it, edit it upload it i i come up with several ideas i develop them you know as i go and then i think right shoot morning and i and i shoot four videos you know film four videos in one and then uh, i can just edit then and, and what you do is you keep yourself in this kind of um you know one kind of mindset and you're more productive if you can stay in one mindset and focus on one task uh, then then you can be more productive without kind of interrupting yourself so, so that's definitely a way to do that but then it's it's that kind of um moves into into um different areas as well but it's it's like about um not duplicating thinking so actually like the the, the thinking you, you sent me this bunch of questions and oh this got me thinking you know 
there's, it won't be surprising if a lot of this makes it way, its way into future videos because to, it's taken me quite a bit of time to get my orders, my, my thoughts in, in order and, uh, you know, to think, oh, yeah, that's what I, I think about that. That's, that's the explanation. So this thinking, and don't underestimate how long thinking really takes and, and you know, properly deep uh, thinking, um, this will find itself into other things that I'll do, other projects, you know, maybe a presentation, maybe CPD I'll do in my department. And so it's all kind of useful. It's all kind of linked instead of thinking this is going to take me three hours and, and then it's just forgotten. But the other the last tip, I, I think, is, uh, is this idea of having three different types of attention. And I have a video about this <laughs> productivity, so you can skip back to that at some point. But uh, this is an incredible uh, productivity app. It's basically sometimes you're you're feeling really creative and, you know, you're really buzzy and you, 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 you really want to do your work and you're really in, into it and you you feel like you tap away for hours you know it's like don't waste that recognize when those bits are and don't waste it and, and you won't get more than about two hours a day of that and then you've got your kind of i'm just plodding on i'm happily doing things you know that that kind of medium is attention that that you you know you you can get things done but really you're not feeling great you'd probably rather be on the sofa or something like that and then there's those times where you kind of can't get off the sofa you're just in the proper slump and everything like that. and it's just about recognizing when you're in those those different frames of mind and actually even when you're in that kind of i'm too tired i can't be bothered frame of mind actually you could still get some kind of meaningful th uh, things done so that tends to be when I, I input my data into the system or something like that you know the kind of <laughs> the kind of absolutely mindless kind of tasks and actually still getting those ticked off at times when you're not feeling really creative and saving that creative energy you know when you when you do feel like that right that's when you pick up your bit of writing that's when you write a lesson plan that's when you uh that's when you script out a video or or anything like that and just sort of managing your own expectations that you're not always expecting to be really buzzy and it's okay if, if you're feeling quite tired at some point you can still get something ticked off luckily youtube's kind of my thing and, and, I, and I love it so it's kind of it's not hard to get into that zone to really just sit myself down and think uh, yeah I'm gonna gonna go for it now I'm gonna um, sit for an hour and do an edit and really be pleased with myself you know halfway through I've kind of I, I say I'll sit for an hour and then it's two and a half hours later and uh, and, and I've just been really enjoying it and that's 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 the, the place to find find those moments and you'll be you'll be really productive I think I think always people have natural, I kind of think of it as like seasons. I kind of think yeah, even totally within an hour, within yeah. a day, within a week, there are seasons of productivity, reflection, thinking, doing, and a bit of procrastination within there somewhere, Absolutely. I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's good, it's good to hear that um, you're, you're, you're kind of spinning all those plates, but um, it's good to be busy as well because that, 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 um, that gains momentum in itself, I think. Um, so thinking about your channel um, over the next few years, You've obviously done loads of content already. I mean, do you just want to kind of carry on? I know there's always going to be the spectre of new specifications sometime in the future, and you'll think, oh, no, I've got to do a whole new load of videos for uh, X, Y, Z, which is always uh, possible because nothing ever stays the same forever, does it? But um, is there any kind of long-term vision, or you just, you're just you're tootling along and seeing where it takes you, and just as long as it's giving value to the audience, that, that's enough for you to, to, to be happy and to keep on get, engaging with your audience? absolutely i'm really excited for the for the next kind of change because it will give me a chance to to start again really and and um sort of make, make them all over again and uh, have that kind of new impetus but um but absolutely yeah it's uh it's it's i'm, I'm at a bit of a crossroads I, I i think and it's a really exciting time as well and i'm really thinking you know what, what is this channel channel going to become i've found some of my uh you know biz, biggest successes in the past were things like live streams during um during the exam season in uh, 2017, 18 and 19 and 
and some you know thousands of students tuned in during uh, during the evening and thousands more have watched them since and, and i think it's really it, you know that that kind of it's interesting that that it, but they take quite a long time to prepare, but then they become really popular and, they, and they've, they've been really good good since. Versus sometimes you you make a video and it it, it um, you know gets a few hundred views and and that's all and it doesn't seem to go anywhere and you've maybe put in an awful lot of time. So it is that kind of hit and miss kind of mentality. But yeah, I think gradually um, my audience is starting to change a little bit. Um, probably some some kids who did GCC and A level a few years ago are probably now watching my content. Now that it's adapted a little bit more to um, teachers and professionals as well, I've had a few people like write to me and say, you know, I, I used to use your videos years ago, and uh, and now I'm going into teacher training, and um, you know, I've seen your video on the iPad and blended learning, and I'm going to give that a go next year, and I'm really excited. So that's really wonderful as well. And is there any videos that you you put out and you thought they're not going to be that popular? Were any surprises yeah. you thought? Oh, does anybody really want to know about this aspect of circuits or something? And you got quite a few hits. What's the, what's the biggest surprise in terms of uh, what you thought was maybe a bit of a dull video, but actually got <laughs> yeah. quite good engagement? Well, the um, electric stove fan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it explains how an electric stove fan works. And it's it's like uh, been about my third most popular video last year. <laughs> And it's really it goes into like um, semiconductors at the PN junction. It's, it's amazing how that thing works. So it sits on the on the top of the stove and it uses the heat to to basically cause a semiconductor to make a current and that drives a motor and so moves the heat around the room. And yeah, that 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 was a very very quick video to make and it's been one of my most popular. Similarly, um, spinners uh, is a, is a very of its time a very 2016 video <laughs> how spinners oh, fidget spinners yeah fidget spinners yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, that, that's that is my most popular video that probably doesn't surprise me in a way but uh, i remember those very well in a in an irritated way <laughs> but anyway um uh thinking about so we're wrapping up soon uh, can i hear about uh, a few final questions just uh um well, the kind of general physics things so uh three final questions so number one who is your favourite physicist of all time and why did you choose that person? That's the first one. Yeah, um, Marie Curie. So I just find her really inspirational. You know, Marie Curie went to Paris from uh, Warsaw because they wouldn't let women attend the university in Warsaw. And she had a mobile x-ray van, uh, which she drove around in, in World War I um, to help find bullets in injured soldiers. These incredible things, right? And only person to have a Nobel Prize in physics and chemistry. I just think she's incredible. And her her um, her mantra at the uh, when she did when she started her institute in Paris was there's always more to learn and more people to help. And I just think that is that's what we do in teaching, isn't it? Yeah, definitely a great a great uh, line a great quotation to to live by as a teacher. Definitely. Um, and popular science books. I mean, there's loads of physics ones. Um, when I was at school, I, I, I liked a bit of a popular science physics book, but I've kind of I've I've not not read one for a while actually. So is there any New ones, other than brief history of time, obviously, is it? Or are you going to mention that one? What are the? No, no, it wasn't. No, that, that's, that's the go-to, isn't <laughs> What's it? What's your yeah. favourite popular science? Uh, so I really want to say six easy pieces, uh, Richard yeah, Feynman. Richard Feynman, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really want to say that, but but I think you need to actually, although they are six easy pieces, I think you need to have a bit of physics behind you before you actually get into that one. So I'm actually going to recommend a textbook, if that's all right. It's not, yeah, like, go for it. Not quite fair play, but uh, Keith Johnson's Physics for You, that's the most accessible textbook that you can have. So basically, you read that, and then you read Feynman. That's, I think you'll be all right. <laughs> I remember those very well, yeah. Um, it's interesting to say Feynman, because I've been looking very recently at, obviously, the Feynman explanation technique, and I guess that works 
quite well with physics. It's quite a... totally, yeah. I, I think uh, you and I were talking about um, the revision techniques, and I think we've we've got um, we've got the kind of top three retrieval practice, spaced uh, practice, and interleaved practice. We've got that locked down on uh, you know retrieval practice apps. Fantastic, they'll do that. But the other two in Dunlosky that um, that we need to work on are elaborative interrogation. So kind of uh, explaining. Uh, why why something isn't the case you know dealing with misconceptions things like that is a fantastic example of that and then um self-explanation so talking yourself through stuff and that's the that's often called the Feynman technique of learning um again I've got a video on it I think we've done a couple on that one actually but um the it's uh it, it's a really um if, if you can bring yourself you know kids sometimes say I'm not going to explain stuff out loud to myself in my room so it's not going to happen <laughs> but if you can bring yourself to do it I think it's a really powerful learning technique actually yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a really, really powerful. Um, last, last question from me before we have to sadly leave it is the uh, one is about your experiment because I know there's loads of loads of good uh, kind of physics experiments. I know, obviously, most schools I've ever worked in, they just just crank out the uh, the Van de Graaff generator. But is there any other ones that you quite like from a kind of purist point of view? They're elegant, that uh, just just illustrate something very nicely that you 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 really like to do every year. And it could be an A-level one, it could be for year seven. Any any thoughts on your favourite kind of uh, physics demo or experiment for the kids? Yeah, so so I, I think the um, ha- having a cloud chamber, I think every school should get a cloud chamber. And I think the kids should have the opportunity to see that, you know, actually you, you need to get them there. You need to get them there to understand what they're looking at. But once they get it, that they are looking at um, something which is caused by an individual uh, subatomic particle, you know, that one and... You need to make them realize how many of these of atoms, you know, there are in any kilogram of a substance. You need to show them these big numbers. And they say, right, now just one nucleus, one um, helium is causing that trail there that you've just seen. And then I, I think there's something that that's their way into physics for me. Uh, that's a very easy way into physics, certainly, is is to, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty astounding uh, what I've just seen there. Um, so that and then do you know one, one thing I'm just um, doing this week with my year sevens is also lots and lots of fun and, and very very good uh, just uh, parachute drops and if you do that well and if you, you you've done enough forces to get them to understand what's going on with that balance of forces um, and also the hard bit to get them to understand that there's a difference between the speed at the start and at the end and the whole idea of terminal velocity and how you can actually develop an experiment to check that I think that's that's very powerful as well. It's, it's good low jeopardy science, as I was mentioning. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And kids love dropping things off high, high uh, staircases on buildings. Thanks so much for joining me today, Kit, and letting me hear your view from the lab. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Here we are at the end of another episode of the View from the Lab podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kit. He's a true advocate for effective learning techniques in science and making the physics he teaches always relevant and exciting. I hope you took away some great tips that you can apply in your classroom this term and beyond. Do you know anyone who should be on the podcast? Maybe it's you. Don't be shy. Please get in touch and email me on andy.woods at pearson.com and we can get the conversation started. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you on the next one.